his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. It's Beam and Beamer. News Radio 930 WBEN. All right, Beamaz and Beamer back here on WBEN to uh, be with you on a Thursday. I, I had to, you know, do one of those once-overs on the calendar. It's like, oh, today's Thursday. Just had no idea. Just slogging along. Doesn't feel week. like anything. Just no. Just feels like a day. It's just there's, you know, too much news going on this week. That <laughs> For me, Brian, not, not a difficult day to forget. It's a big softball game tonight. So, of course, oh, really? that's what's on uh, well, front of my mind. Aren't they all big? Well, hey. I mean, they're all... This is the last game before the playoffs. You know, I've, you I've got to get my swing down. I got to get my swing down before the playoffs. This is the final game before they really count. <laughs> it's the last game of the season. I'm finally learning to swing. That's uh, Joe <laughs> softball. They told me I couldn't take any more walks, so I had to start oh, swinging at the ball. You're an embarrassment to the team. <laughs> oh, that's that's been the case for a decade. <laughs> well, we're hanging out with you here, Beamaz and Beamer. On WBEN to uh, continue our and you know thank you for all the calls and uh, text messages yesterday, which I feel like was a very you know, I I off the air afterwards you get some uh, comments from people outside who say you know hey you know listen to the show about people who are a little touchy feely yeah and yeah yeah we all know somebody like that is kind of who what I got right afterwards. It, once you not think to, about it, again, not to the degree of what we saw in that report again. No. That's not what we were, but you know, just a little bit to make you go, hmm. Yeah, we all work with someone like that, or have gone to school with someone like that, or yeah, you know of yeah, we know uh, that somebody who's just uh, a little more hands on than usual. <laughs> um, again, nothing close to yeah, the things we heard in that report. Yeah, but it was interesting to kind of hear your comments yesterday and appreciate that. But uh, do want to focus a little bit. On today, something that, you know, it's very rare we go throughout an entire week. We get to a Thursday, and it's the first time you're really uh, bringing up COVID on the show, um, as has been the case for, you know, uh, however long we've been doing this now. It is one of those points of discussion. And it was yesterday when the county executive was speaking, and, you know, all of this just coming back into the forefront. And, you know, really, before we even get into what was in the PowerPoint presentation from yesterday and what the uh, language around COVID is right now and what some of the concerns that people have right now around COVID are, I it all seems to go back to, Joe, that conversation we had at the end of last week 
a conversation we have with the uh, doctor from Johns Hopkins, Dr. Amesha Dalja, about the CDC recommendations. And even after some of the evidence came out, after those recommendations changed, the message that it sent to people. And, you know, it's what we have been talking about throughout the last week. If you want more Americans to get vaccinated against COVID, uh, saying that they could still catch the disease and transmit it to others after they become vaccinated, probably not the best strategy. No, that... Especially if that's a little misleading to begin with. It's it's very misleading to begin with because you just say it as, look at these cases amongst vaccinated people and you put no context in it. Uh, Again, it's not really getting the message when I thought your message was to get everyone vaccinated. I it's to see now the the recommendations go out, the pushback to that, the pushback to the pushback. And now the pushback to the pushback to the pushback, if you don't know what I'm talking about, right? Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, this is it. The Biden administration now concerned about the alarm that the CDC's recommendations yeah. have caused about the Delta variant uh, by emphasizing the danger of COVID in people vaccinated against COVID. This is from uh, CNN reporter Oliver Darcy, who reported that, uh, this is a quote, the White House frustrated with what it views as alarmist, in some instances flat-out misleading news coverage about the Delta variant, according to Darcy in that CNN report. The media's coverage doesn't match the moment, according to an unnamed senior Biden administration official, which would back up a tweet that we saw last week from Ben Wakana, who I'm not too familiar with, but he's part of the White House's COVID response team, as the New York Times was the first to get their hands on some of the CDC evidence, and their headline was all about uh, COVID as transmissible as the chicken pox. Chicken pox you know, yes. Watch out. That's what we heard over and over again through the weekend in all caps you know, with that New York Times tweet, tweeted out, vaccinated people do not transmit the virus at the same rate as unvaccinated people. If you fail to include that context, you're doing it wrong, right. is the response from the Biden administration, the response from the same people who are putting out that CDC recommendation. Now, <laughs> the the problem with that is that same person then goes on TV and almost gives the exact opposite. Um, insinuating that one in every 10 vaccinated people walking into a room of unvaccinated people could walk out with COVID. Right. Which is not, is blowing completely out of proportion what the data says, uh, not only from the CDC and their recent findings, but just what the data says and what common sense says of the past four months of us living around being vaccinated with COVID. Yeah, and, and you know, Brian, the thing that I still, and I know I've brought this up every time we talk about this, every time we get to breakthrough cases, um, and, and the White House is saying something different. Uh, we saw this yesterday, uh, but when we call a breakthrough case, it says one in 10, uh, I'm sorry, nine in 10 will walk out of that room with no COVID was the example in the article, right? But that one most likely does not have if any kind of symptoms, anything more than a mild case. And, and I, I, there's got to be there's got to be a way to differentiate a breakthrough case that does not send someone to the hospital and the real breakthrough cases that, yes, 
you should be looking at within vaccinated people. And those are ones that send people to the hospital or that end in death. But that's very, very, very rare. These other breakthrough cases are doing exactly what the vaccine told us to do. And anytime you bring that up, it, 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 it seems like not only from the media, but to go against what this article is saying, it looks like you get pushback from the White House when you ask why are asymptomatic cases uh, being called breakthrough cases within vaccinated people? Uh, I, I think that adds to the miscommunication, the misinformation. And again, it's not helping those who are... What you have left now when it comes to unvaccinated people, it's not going to take telling them, hey, you really should get vaccinated. Uh, we're past that. You know, and, and when you keep on feeding them stuff like this, guess what? They just get stronger in their opinion and, and they're not going to budge uh, when you keep on throwing this information and keep on using these what I call scare tactics um, when talking about vaccinated individual. It's the wrong message. And, and it really sorry it did start with the communication from the White House. And uh, breakthrough cases, I mean, we might be talking about positive tests, not even a you know, contraction of COVID right. uh, in the sense that I we're like, kind of used to. I like how they say it. Well, there could have been some COVID in your nose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, even uh, getting that, it's – we're, for some reason, becoming, um, you know, more and more um, fearful of COVID or – I'm not sure what the exact term of putting it out there is because of some evidence that transmission reduction from the vaccine is not perfect, which, I mean, is something that I feel like until a few months ago, until these vaccines came out, everyone understood. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there was no there was no confusion as to what a vaccine did until this vaccine. And uh, for some, we went very overboard with, wow, I mean, you know, not only is it protect you against getting sick, or I mean, it might even stop you from getting COVID uh, at all to begin with and stopping the spread from personal. I mean, it's it made it sound like that bug zapper yes. that Dr. that talked about when it never really was. And if we uh, kept our head level and said, OK, this is the COVID vaccine that we have been waiting for. That we've been talking about for the last year and a half, uh, going back to early March of when is this going to happen? This is the thing you've been waiting for as advertised, better than advertised, but as advertised, not, you know, a miracle cure for COVID. I, and all of a sudden, that's not good enough. It's, it raises the question as to, well, what is good enough? And, and where is the line drawn? And, and where... Do we start to emphasize some more of the positives in what we're seeing? Because it doesn't really make sense, this back and forth that we're seeing in the White House, where you have the CDC at first saying vaccinated people, well, they should wear masks because they might pose a danger to others, which is now the CDC walking back and saying, well, that is a very low probability that they could be infected. Um, and we don't really know if they can even transmit the virus once you are infected. Uh, we're exaggerating breakthrough infections um, while also attempting to tell people that the vaccine is the ticket out of the pandemic at the same time. Like we said, it's just not going to work if you're saying two things in the same sentence. And now you have officials in the Biden administration <laughs> being upset over alarmist reporting that 
it kind of kicked off on its own with this uh, mishmash of uh, CDC recommendations. And, and to your point, no, it's not a miracle, Brian, but it is pretty amazing that 90% of people that get vaccinated, that is better than almost any other, not any other vaccine, but that's pretty amazing for something that's been around for a little more than a year. 90% of vaccinated people won't get COVID. 96, 97% won't end up in the hospital or die from it. That's pretty amazing. It, it, it is a miracle that we have this vaccine. And that should have been, as you said, the message from the beginning. But it really does seem like it's the White House fighting with the White House about how the media covers it. And, and you know, kind of it's continued, right? Because it's it's almost uh, sounding an alarm. We talked about this, that, uh, okay, CDC, new recommendations, even if that is exactly what uh, the evidence points to and what everybody should be doing all the time, uh, what you're going to get is the people who that message is for are not going to listen to it and not going to happen, and it's only going to be implemented in the areas where it's going to help the very least and create just a little bit more of this tension. It caters to people with the lowest risk tolerance, which is what we're seeing more and more of the messaging, uh, not just about the vaccine, but about uh, basically everything. Um, you can throw booster shots into this. I mean, the COVID vaccines are far more effective than a flu shot. Yes. But nobody is talking about, well, hey, uh, you get a flu shot and then you know, in December, go and get another one, a booster, just, you know, to up the uh, 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 way that it works or something like that. Or, you know, wear your mask because it's not perfect and we still want to protect against the flu. I mean, that's never happened before. But now all of a sudden, all this talk is happening here and people are a little confused as to, well, it doesn't really make sense with the way that we've always kind of dealt with these threats, especially when it comes to viral diseases right and, and speaking of uh, of covid and you know you mentioned how they're calling on vaccinated people to put a mask on uh i just want to say minus the outlier that was uh that the cdc referenced and we still don't know everything about that um most studies most research shows that vaccinated people still very unlikely to pass covid on that's another misinformation there is not hard evidence to show that vaccinated people are passing this on any more than they had been four or five months ago before the Delta variant. Which, depending on at what point in time that you uh, listen to, I, it would almost seem that you're more likely to contract COVID if you're right. vaccinated than if you're unvaccinated, depending on what data points you're looking at from the CD, which we know is not the case from not only a wealth of information that we've had for months but also real-world experience. Yep. Uh, like we said, nothing trumps real-world experience of walking into crowded places for the past few months and being relatively fine for just about everybody, especially if you're vaccinated. Uh, but it, it does raise all these questions, and with questions comes confusion. With confusion comes a lot of concern. And that concern, I feel like, is being played on a little bit. Now, I want to go up north to Alberta, Canada, which is doing away with a lot of their uh, tightened COVID restrictions. There's no longer, much like here in New York State, no longer province-wide restrictions in Alberta, Canada. They're instead going to try and kind of target 
you know, little areas where there's pockets of, you know, Alberta's a big place. Um, you know, if there's a county here or, you know, a place there that really needs to be focused in on, they'll do that. But they're done with the broad countywide restrictions in Alberta. And their chief medical officer of health for Alberta, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, recently uh, published online a piece kind of explaining how this entire thing worked, right? Um, and how her decision-making process was. And she starts off with this. So COVID's a wicked problem. Experts don't always agree on the exact nature of the problem, much less the best approach. But it's not the only wicked problem we're facing together. So she is approaching this in a way that, listen, I am not saying that COVID is no longer here. I'm not saying that it's no longer a problem to be dealt with. I'm not saying that it's no longer a threat, especially to people who have not been vaccinated yet. But there is a time when you have to start looking at the other problems and taking everything into consideration. Uh, Some of the things that she mentions in here is that we have to back away from some extraordinary measures that aren't sustainable. She said testing every person with a runny nose or sore throat is an extraordinary measure that we cannot sustain, particularly through the respiratory virus season, which is coming up. Uh, Legally mandating everyone to stay home for 10 days if they have any symptoms is one of those extraordinary measures that was necessary before vaccines, but is also very disruptive, um, can't really be justified when there's vaccine protection that's available out there. She says knowing to stay home if you've been exposed, if you test positive, if you have serious symptoms is the right thing to do, and most people will take that action. And then she talks about kids and COVID. And it sounds exactly the opposite from what we're hearing locally, even though the picture is, uh, you know, it's a relatively similar. This is what she said about children. When it comes to children, I understand the anxiety about kids under 12 for whom the vaccine is not yet available. I have two children of my own in that age group. So it's personal. For children, it's important to think about the much smaller risk of severe outcomes and the consequences of the public health measures we've had in place. We know these have led to problems in mental health, impacts on learning and development. We navigate risks for our children every day. Looking at how COVID risks for kids compared to other risks is important to help inform the way forward. For example, for kids zero to nine, the risk of ICU admission for seasonal influenza in the year before COVID equal to the risk of ICU admission for COVID. Five to 14, 140 times greater risk of an emergency department visit for a sports-related injury than risk of a COVID hospital admission since March of 2020. This doesn't mean that we should ignore the risk to kids, but we should consider COVID risk in context with all of the other risks that we face. Now, this is a tough argument to get around because as soon as you bring this up, you, you kind of get this immediate pushback. Well, you don't care about kids or you, you don't believe COVID. How come you're not treating the threat seriously? And that is not what's going on. I mean, do you hear that, Joe, in there at all? Oh, all the time. But in in her argument, do you hear her not caring about kids? It doesn't. No, she doesn't. Obviously, she cares about kids. She's being realistic. She's using the evidence. She's using the data. She's uh, Brian. She's trusting the science. I. It, it's it doesn't sound like she doesn't care about kids. It is important too, and I don't. There for some, <laughs> for some reason, there is a pushback 
over trying to look at things in, you know, getting back to normal or, um, you know, weighing these uh, positives and negatives the way that I thought we were all supposed to do as rational adults has become in itself a negative to do in some circles. And you get that pushback when really it's what we should be doing all along. And it has been what we've been doing for a long time. Because if you remember the discussion a year ago today, when there was a a lot of question as to whether or not schools would be open or not. Right. And we found out that, you know, not really. (laughs) It wouldn't really be open. And it took a long time for schools to get there. Some never did. What was the reasoning behind it? Predominantly, what we heard was, well, listen, we know that kids are not at high risk for COVID, but there is concern that they are going to get COVID in the classroom and take it home to a grandparent, to somebody with an underlying health condition, uh, to somebody who is vulnerable from COVID. And that was the reasoning. That was the argument we heard the entire second half of this, of last school year. It, it had nothing to do with kids because it was laid out at, at the start. Well, kids are, you know, in large part protected. Right. Um, they're not more at risk for COVID than they are from a lot of other things that we've kind of accepted as a society. Now the argument's changing as we go toward what will happen for another school year with this hyper-focus on cases, but without any detail as to what we mean when we're saying cases. Uh, do we mean something asymptomatic? Do we mean a hospital visit? I, there really isn't much there. We hear word of outbreak. Outbreak. You know what outbreak is? Outbreak is the title of a movie where the main characters are in hazmat suits the entire time. I mean, outbreak is a scary word. And that's what we're using now to describe summer camps or summer school, things that kids are really needing now more than ever, that connection. Uh, And it's scaring parents, and we're seeing this. It's scaring parents to now take kids out of activities that are greatly helping them. And we're not quite sure because we don't have enough data. We just have words that are are really uh, putting fear in a lot of people, to be honest, about what might happen. And it, it's tough to see that with the argument um, that we heard about a year ago and the picture, I mean, not really changing. We can hear people surmise and come up with the idea that Delta is, well, it's it might be more severe. Might be. I, it doesn't appear to be more severe. It doesn't appear to be more severe in kids. That's what nope. we've heard from doctors throughout this outbreak, whether Delta is here or whether Delta was in the UK. So why all of a sudden is this changing? What are the concerns? We're going to talk more about that coming up. Next here on BMAS and Beamer. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. 
Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. It's Beamaz and Beamer. Now, Brian Mazarowski and Joe Beamer. News Radio 930 WBEN. Welcome back to Beamaz and Beamer on WBEN. Um, I, you know, we're trying to have a good time in the breaks while having a, we're getting fired up. I, I have to calm myself down after we talk about this every time because it is a heated topic. Um, and, you know, to help calm uh, everyone down because he's always a calm voice, uh, cool and collected, Michael Cornell, uh, president of the Superintendents Association, Erie Niagara, uh, joining us live on the line uh, to kind of uh, talk us through some of what you're expecting to see in the upcoming school year, maybe based on what we heard yesterday uh, in that Erie County presentation. Uh, Michael, thanks uh, once again for being on with us. I, I guess just first impression, do you think you learned anything yesterday, judging from what we heard from the county executive and the health commissioner? Um, no. Um, here's, here's what I think. Uh, I think there was a missed opportunity yesterday to provide some much-needed clarity for people who are craving clarity, right? So uh, what I watched yesterday was the bundling together of data and commentary on district-provided summer programming and community-based programs, which are not run by school districts. So it might lead one to make an inference about the safety profile of school programs that's not quite accurate. So what I can tell you is that it's important to make a distinction between district-sponsored programs and those community-based programs. And I had a meeting yesterday as it happens with our school superintendents um, and, and asked the group about the number of uh, in-school infections they've experienced in their summer programming. Most had none. And some of the largest ones had none. Williamsville, West Seneca, uh, here in Hamburg, um, no cases of in-district uh, infection. And there's been a handful, uh, no more than a handful, uh, across uh, Erie County. So, um, you know, someone might be left with an impression that schools, uh, you know, our summer programming has not been safe. Uh, the fact is that they're very safe, um, We've had an incredibly small number of cases, considering we have more than 10,000 kids learning in our programs every single day across Western New York. I, that was the one thing that I and uh, Joe and I were watching this together yesterday that I was taking issue with while this was being presented is just the use of a couple words. Um, the one being, you know, cases, cases on the rise, or I think I saw at one point uh, quadrupling of uh, cases or, you know, one quadrupled is four, uh, but, you know, to use certain words and terms, it might cast a different image in your mind than what's actually happening. And then the other was outbreak. You know, I mean, that's some scary terminology 
being used to describe. I don't know if that is the right description or not, but I feel like those are words that should be used very carefully. Yeah, that's why I typically, I, I, we've talked enough. I, I, I shy away from characterizing and from predicting. Um, so that's why I talk about facts. You know, the facts are what the facts are. Uh, are, are the other thing that I, I, I thought was unfortunate is, is and I don't know if she meant to, to offer this impression, but one might be left with the impression that we have school staff who are willfully and widespread, in a widespread way, ignoring protocols, uh, which is causing an outbreak. Um, what you have is a very, very small number of cases, and there might be an isolated instances in which a staff member might have made a mistake. But the reality of it is you've got amazing people working in our school districts all summer long, safely meeting the educational, social, emotional, nutritional needs of children, um, and they're doing great work, the same great work they always do, and we're fortunate to have them with us in the summertime. So. I don't characterize. I don't predict. The facts are what the facts are. And our summer programs have been safe and successful. So just to clarify, because I'm looking at that PowerPoint slide right now, uh, you do not know of any instances where unvaccinated staff have been walking around without masks, increasing spread, and you don't, you're not aware of staff that have been working with COVID symptoms? Well, here's what I'll tell you. First of all, masking is not required. Cohorting is not required. Teachers are not required to work in only one room. Uh, those are some of the some of the critique that was offered. Um, but the, the, the protocols are being followed. Um, you know, the nature of the virus is that a person could unknowingly be in at, at any workplace or in any setting with the virus and not know it. Um, so, um, you know, that that happens. Um, I'm not aware, uh, and I wouldn't necessarily be aware of every instance in which a member of a, of a school district staff in some other school district uh, thought he or she had allergies and was in the building and, in fact, had COVID. Uh, but that, that's a mistake that, that people have made in all kinds of settings, and, and school settings are like any other workplace. We also heard that the Erie County Department of Health is planning COVID testing program with all the schools in the county. Uh, what should parents look forward to uh, the next school year when it comes to testing? Well, what we're in the process of doing, and I'll, I'll give the Erie County Department of Credit, uh, uh, Department of uh, Health, their due credit here. You know, they, they've they've been working with us. We've been proactive with each other on on prospectively developing the capacity to deliver a testing program if it becomes necessary. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is there's going to be a lot of water under the bridge between now and September 8th, which is when most schools open up. Um, the path of the virus has proven itself to be unpredictable. So our job is to be ready for anything, as you've heard me say many times before. And one of the things that I think we have to be prepared to do is for, to provide some surveillance testing um, in a couple of different ways, if in fact that becomes necessary. Uh, so uh, we're happy to work with our partners over or over at ECDOH uh, to to have that capacity at the ready should it be necessary. Are you worried about where the conversation seems to be shifting? Uh, we talked about last year as opposed to this year, and last year when we were talking about an upcoming school year, a, a lot of the concern was still revolving around. 
well, and this was before vaccines, of course, well, we don't want children to catch COVID in school and bring that home to a more susceptible family member, an older uh, grandparent, uh, somebody who has uh, some sort of immune deficiency or might be more vulnerable or in one of these high-risk groups. And now that the vaccine is out there and those people are largely covered and protected from COVID, I, you know, more and more this seems to be shifting to uh, we can't have any kid catch COVID, which I... You know, I'm a parent of a young kid. I don't want my kid to be sick with anything. It stinks. Um, You know, it's the worst. But at no point do I ever think that, well, I'm going to stop him from ever becoming sick uh, with anything, period, full stop. Are you concerned that this is shifting in a way that, you know, I hate to use the term moving the goalposts because that gets so overused, but we're, we're now altering the criteria for what would allow us to have a normal school year? Well, I try to bring that right back to what really matters most to children, families, and educators, which is, you know, what I think we know now about September are these things. Every child is going to be in school five days a week in person. That, that is developmentally critical. There's no conversation around anything other than that. It would be unfathomable to think that we would repeat the mistake of limiting in-person access uh, to learning for children to two days a week while we leave the the liquor stores open seven days a week. Um, So we're going to be working off of a model of three feet of distance, I think, with some discretion. Um, And we're going to do everything we can to make sure that the opening of school in September looks substantially like it did in 2019 and do it safely. Um, You know, there's still some details that have to come into focus Uh, But the reality of it is kids are going to be learning in school, in person, uh, five days a week in September. And I don't think that there's any chance that anybody's going to put a barrier in in, in front of that based on what we think will be the path of the virus at this point. So parents shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be concerned of any kind of virtual learning popping up, uh, especially in the month of September. Right now, I think every school district that I know of in Western New York, across the state, and really across the country, is planning on five days a week in-person learning for all kids in September. Now, again, you know, predicting in the COVID era is risky business. I'm not going to sit here and say that there's no chance there's not an isolated outbreak someplace that causes a school uh, to close for a couple of days. That happens in a bad flu season. So, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that's, not at all a possibility, but our standard operating assumption for September is five days a week in-person learning for all kids. We've talked a lot in the last week about uh, having a cost-benefit analysis of things when it comes to making recommendations or setting rules or, or something like that that you know sometimes is there and oftentimes really isn't. Are, are you confident that whether it's in the, the State Department of Education, the State Health Department, or people making the decisions on a more local level, that that cost-benefit analysis of the COVID concerns and all the other developmental concerns is being done in a good way where one isn't outweighing the other? I think we learned um, very clearly. The picture that emerged of public education is that, or education generally, is that it is an absolutely essential uh, part of a young person's uh, development. 
and uh, the, the consequences to children of interrupted uh, or intermittent school attendance over the course of the last 18 months is, is something that we're going to work to unravel for a year or two. Uh, so I think the consequences of that are well recognized and acknowledged, and, and I don't think that there's any educator or policymaker that's anxious to repeat, uh, to repeat the mistake um, and to incur, you know, more of those consequences on behalf of kids. Kids need to be in school. Um, it's obvious kids need to be in school. And I think policymakers and educators, students and families all readily recognize that are moving, moving forward with that as, as a basis. Michael, as always, thank you for joining us this morning. All right. You got it, guys. Thanks. Michael Cornell, he is uh, president of the Erie Niagara Superintendents Association, joining us live to talk about some of those concerns that uh, I think a lot of people have when they heard what was going on yesterday, uh, the county updates when talking about kids uh, in, you know, to me, what was uh, an alarmist way, what the Biden administration would call uh, maybe an alarmist way of uh, reporting on this that raises eyebrows, raises red flags, raises a lot of fear when, you know, how much has the picture changed uh it depends on how we're gauging that are, are we using cases or are we using severity uh because I, there there has to be a distinction made there well eventually it has to be uh what you gauge this on is severity we, we can't and that's what it was from march 2020 we can't start counting cases i, I mean we, brian how many times have not only you and i said this because people might you know take what you and i say with a grain of salt but how many times have we heard doctors say people that know what they're talking about COVID's here COVID's going to be here, right? And as you said, you look at how sick our children get it. No one wants their, their kid to get sick, obviously. Uh, but you're going to get sick. And, and what's the severity of that illness? Is it just a case? Is it just a runny nose? Is it, yeah, you have to stay home for a few days? If that's the case, uh, I think parents are more concerned about how far back are their kids going to fall when it comes to education if it's another year or another month of a year where they're looking at a computer screen and not in the classroom learning and also in the school learning those social skills mm -hmm. that you learn outside the classroom. I, You know, and I really do think a big part of the problem is that it's an uncomfortable conversation to have. It's not easy to talk about and you sound... It's impossible not to sound callous when you bring some of these things up because you will hear the argument um, without a doubt that, you know, even if it only saves uh, one life, it, it is worth it. And how do you argue against that, right? I, I mean, how do you argue against it? But the how we look at risk on a grand stage, I mean, that has never been how we do it. That's never been how we evaluate. And that's the harsh reality of life. Um, you know, nobody wants to argue against that point because it's impossible. It is callous and it is hard to do. But I mean, if we are we going to get rid of all swimming pools? Right. You know, only because, it's, you know, some uh, doctors have mistakenly, accidentally done something during a surgery that ends up in a death. Are we going to get rid of all doctors? No. Probably not. No. Um, that wouldn't be a good idea. Uh, but there is this, uh, it's it's a calculation that has to be made. It, it's, uh, it's a tough conversation to have. I think that's why you don't hear it more often. But on the grand scale of things, uh, kids are not affected 
by COVID the same way higher risk age groups are. That's something we've known since March of 2020. Uh, it's something that's been uh, proven to be true ever since. It's something that has not changed recently, even if um, the fact that maybe it is more transmissible than it once was from kid to kid um, than maybe it was six months ago, even if that fact has changed, the severity issue has not. So I, I don't want us to change our outlook of what it will take to give kids a little bit of a sense of normalcy, to get kids back with their peers, uh, and to you know give a, a sense of meaning back to their days and not just sitting in front of a screen. If there's anyone that needs a sense of normalcy, it is the youth of America to be in a normal school setting. You know, Brian, you talk about uh, taking that risk and the uncomfortable conversation. Hey, when I was in elementary school, we had an asbestos leak and they took us out of school for only half a day. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, you answer so many questions about yourself every single day, but, Joe. But you That's, know, but you know what I mean? A lot. You know what I mean? I mean, they could have said, hey, you know, no, no school until the construction's done. But no, they contained it. Yes, we weren't allowed to go to a section of the school. I mean, they got us back in the they classroom. Spread, sprayed some lead paint over it to cover it up and then <laughs> oh no no they're, they're all they, good. they got us back into the school you know what i mean they they the the bigger risk was us missing that valuable education you get at such a young age yeah um hey i do want to you know we talked yesterday a lot about uh, the governor and the cuomo story which i'm sure will continue to unfold throughout the day throughout the week and bleed into next week but uh, there was this report on chris cuomo because there's a lot of questions i he's getting a lot of eyeballs as to what he's talking about not talking about uh, andrew cuomo at all on his show no but you Lots saw of covid yeah, yeah you saw this report of uh, officials at cnn reportedly offered chris cuomo a leave of absence to advise his brother now he's included in that ag report uh, some of the advice he was giving to his brother uh, andrew cuomo he was offered a leave of absence I, you know, is that really, I think this, I, if you want to uh, hold the position you do as a, you know, what do you call those kind of shows? Pseudo news, news entertainment shows. I think cable news after seven o'clock is opinion, our opinion shows. Yeah. Uh, uh, editorial shows, yeah. but it's in Perfect the news realm. It. It's in the news realm. If you want to have that spot and uh, give advice to whether it's your brother or whether it's any politician, period, I think people should have no problem with that. Because it will tell you exactly what they're thinking. The only thing is, you should have to do that on the air. On the air. Part of your job. How many times over our last uh, you know, two months here uh, together have we been giving free advice to uh, politicians and everyone? <laughs> it's just on the air. You have to out in public so everyone knows where you're coming from. I don't disagree with that. I, so I think the advice is fine. The leave of absence is what? No, 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 no. no. If you're going to give advice... You have to let everyone know exactly what that advice is. Hey, and he'd actually talk about it. You know, you, you talk about a guy that wants to see his ratings go up. Right there, you just gave him an idea to win his time slot. I, You know, the advice hour. with uh, <laughs> You can turn it around. By the way, I thought it was very interesting. The last two days on Chris Cuomo's show, his first two guests have been former members of the Trump administration. Hmm. You know, talking about COVID, he had the former Surgeon General on and then the former um, coordinator of COVID procedure um, under the Trump administration. I don't know why. But I found that to be a very interesting, especially on Chris Cuomo's show, yeah. as I don't know if you've heard, not the biggest fan of the former president. Yeah. Um, well, and then this uh, while we were on the air, the president tweeting this out. Um, and this is I, it's an issue I'm really interested in, um, especially because of my new car is a little half and half. Uh, he's signing an executive order, President Biden, with a goal to make 50% of new vehicles sold by 2030 
zero emissions. So either electric or uh, hydrogen fuel cell car. We might, if nothing else comes up, we might talk a little bit about that tomorrow and what that might mean for the future of the auto industry. Because that is a pretty interesting, and that's not far off, right? 2030. So you're only talking years. nine years oh, uh, for half the vehicles to be a little bit different. You're already seeing the uh, changes on the lots already. You are, and, and Brian's getting that uh, 40 miles to the charge uh, driving to work. It's uh, a thousand miles between Phillips is a beautiful thing. That's amazing. Hey, we'll see you back here tomorrow on WBEN. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams. Thanks for everything, mom and dad. Will always be worth it. Apply today at penfed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.